Welcome to Beaver Tracks, a damn good podcast, bringing you inside the world of OSU admissions and providing you with a behind-the-scenes look at what goes on in Beaver Nation. I'm Heather Wilford, the Senior Assistant Director of Multicultural Recruitment. And I'm Amanda Price, Assistant Director of Resident Recruitment. Thanks for tuning in. Today's special guest on our podcast is Katie Dong. She is the very first Oregon State University student to be selected into the Space Force program only one of 77 in the entire United States. So it's a pretty big deal. Katie is a senior studying in the College of Earth, Ocean and Atmospheric Sciences here at OSU. In her new role, she will become a Space Force Second Lieutenant as a Space Operations Officer. As a disclaimer, Katie's military experiences and career do not reflect the official policies and positions of the US Air Force, the US Space Force, Department of Defense or the US government. Katie, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I'm glad to be a part of this. Our first question for you is, where is your favorite place on campus to get a hot beverage? You know, there are so many places to choose from, and I found that my uh, preference depends on where most of my classes are. And since most of my CS classes are on Monroe, Allen Brothers has always been that go-to place for me, and it always hits the spot. Love it. It's all about whatever's closest walking distance, especially if it's a little rainy. Just want to be able to get in there real quick, and I'm going to have to add that place to my list. And I don't think that one has been mentioned yet of all of our podcasts, so shout out to a new place. You know, it's a it's a really great little place. Actually, uh, Dr. Karen Shell hosts her climate coffee sessions to get to know students, and that is also the place to meet up, and so that, that always has a special place in my heart. Katie, your journey to OSU is unlike most students. Can you tell us the process by which you decided to study at Oregon State? Sure. So as we talked before, I'm a little bit of a non-traditional student. I was enlisted in the Air Force for eight years and I was a, I was a pretty good high school student. I got really great grades, great attendance, had a really bright future, but I wasn't quite sure on what I wanted. So I took some time. I enlisted for a while, which helped me with a few things. One, to help me focus on what I wanted to study and also to help me build that financial independence to attend school. But the thing that was really hard was finding an online STEM education from a reputable institution. And through searching, I finally came across Oregon State University and I enrolled in CS as an environmental science major, knowing that I would eventually come to Corvallis and I would change majors to become an earth science major because a lot of the undergrad courses are about the same and it was an easier transition. And it was everything from the way that the website was presented and even with the way that the courses are laid out and the interactions with professors that helped me really stick with the program and fully commit into graduating from Oregon State University. Major shout out to our eCampus program. They're amazing, top notch, like top five. So you know what, what's up on the online. Katie, you mentioned briefly there that you are now in the earth science program. So that's what you'll get your degree in, but you have a special option within climate science that you take classes with. So can you tell us a little bit about the courses that you take and how they've helped prepare you for your future career? So earth sciences is kind of like that broad branch of understanding how the different processes come together. By focusing on climate science, this helps really hone in the understanding of long-term records and prediction models while understanding the emphasis on physics and math. So it's a lot more technical based. A lot of the interdisciplines within earth sciences are technical based, but I had a preference towards studying the atmosphere. And I found that 
the climate science program was the best way for me to get that education. By applying the different interactions between the spheres, so, you know, the atmosphere, hydrosphere, chirosphere, etc., we can apply what we know with a variety of different jobs to include supporting or creating new environmental policies, maybe working for the Department of Energy, or continuing physical science research with a lab or civilian government agency, which is what I hope to do as far as my long-term career. A lot of the programs or a lot of the jobs that our program can apply to are actually released in our weekly student opportunities letter, which is an incredibly helpful research tool. Students that are looking for internships or maybe wondering, okay, this is a really cool program, but what do I do with this? And it's really awesome to see how supportive the CEO's faculty have been to help us figure out where we can really merge really well with and which areas of study that we'd be really compatible with. Katie, how did your time in the Air Force prepare you for this new role with the Space Force? So the Air Force is really unique. Like any other person that has maybe pursued a profession before formally attending school, you get a lot of challenges with learning how to focus what you want to study keeping to your goals, even if maybe they temporarily go in the back burner, because there are simply a lot of things that kind of get in the way. And, you know, that's totally fine. That's, that's how life works. My experience in the Air Force, I was able to take my time while receiving a steady income working in remote sensing operations. So I already had a background in geographic science and using satellite images to figure out what's on the ground. And the science aspect of that really triggered, how does this work? And how can, how do I know that what I'm seeing on the ground is actually what I'm seeing on the ground. After becoming that specialized professional in remote sensing, I wanted, I found myself wanting to study more because the challenges in the military like made me figure out how to become a great team player, how to become a leader, how to balance or persevere through difficult or task-saturated periods of time. I think that really helped me become that successful student because college is, college can be quite difficult and you know, the challenges in the military versus the challenges in the university are completely, they're not, you can't compare those things. However, the lessons that I learned from overcoming a difficult situation, learning to recognize this is a lot of tasks. This is a lot of stuff I need to do. Figuring out how to balance and organize my task list to get things done really helped and contribute to the success of, in my program. And in addition to that, a lot of scientific campaigns, from what I noticed, operate very close to the military, where there is a leader, there is someone that is running an operation, and you have these team players, where you have to communicate. And that means saying the easy things, the nice things, and also the really difficult things, and not being afraid to express that, because we all know that we just want to progress the mission, looking beyond of what makes us uncomfortable, because information is important. Thanks for telling us about your personal experiences and all of that. Like, I'm so excited to learn more about what you're doing and what you're going to be doing in the future. Can you tell us more about the Chorus AQ study and how that fits into your story? Chorus AQ was an air quality campaign that was conducted between NASA and South Korea. During that time, I was actually stationed on the same air base that they were operating out of. And I completely discovered it on accident through a Facebook Live story. And I think this is one of those moments where the power of social media is really strong because it was just a normal day off. I'm browsing the internet, come across Facebook Live, and I follow all the NASA pages because, you know, I've always dreamed of working for them since I was a kid. So I come across the, the video and I watch it. And I'm like, wow, those buildings look really familiar. And that's like super cool. I didn't know they did airborne research. And so something told me, like, maybe I should look, look out the window so lo and behold, I open my curtains. I'm living in military dorms. 
on the airbase and like half a mile away is the aircraft I'm like oh my goodness like I need to tour this aircraft so I'm like asking my friends I have friends that work on a flight line friends that have flown aircraft and got to interact with the U-2 pilot that NASA was also operating and from there I learned about the outreach program which was conducted by Dr. Emily Schaller she organized a lot of the outreach meetings and actually toured hundreds of curious Air Force members onto the aircraft. And from there, that's when I realized that was my aha moment of, okay, I knew I always wanted to study science, but I was always afraid of really committing to school because I didn't know what exactly I wanted. And I wanted to be sure. After talking to her and the other researchers on the aircraft, that's where I was able to focus of, okay, I need to study earth sciences. This is what I really wanted to do. And I just needed someone to help guide me on that path. The nice thing about Dr. Schaller is she helped me discover, and that was one of the pushes for me to apply to Oregon State. That is a perfect segue. Katie, I love your story. I know I had a chance to talk with you earlier, but it's just this crazy amount of coincidences that became your career that led you to where you are today. And it just shows you how, you know, if you're open to it and you never know what you're going to find in certain situations that may impact your entire future. So your Facebook Live became your future career, which I think is so cool. But could you tell us a little bit more about your internship with NASA and then specifically what Red Tide Bloom is? So after talking with the Dr. Schaller at Chorus AQ, I learned about what the NASA Student Airborne Research Program was, NASA SARP for short. Through NASA SARP, it's, it's really selective. They only select about 28 to 30 students per year. And I believe I was the only student from the Pacific Northwest that was selected. Um, a little bit of a big deal. Um, also really unique because we had the COVID-19 pandemic. And so that, that impacted a lot about the in-person experiences. However, the enthusiasm and support that Dr. Schaller gave not only to Course AQ, but as the program manager for NASA SARP really turned around this experience where she was there with us every day, making like a lot of events for us to meet up. And from there, I was mentored by several well-established scientists in the earth sciences community, ranging from atmospheric chemistry, remote sensing, and learning about how the science of it all ties together. So within that program, I was assigned in the Ocean Remote Sensing Group where Dr. Rafe Kudela, who is also a professor at UC Santa Cruz, helped me discover how I can function as an independent researcher. And with that, I actually started with an initial idea. I wanted to study bioluminescent tides and how I can identify them using an infrared satellite. That didn't quite work out, but thankfully, my experiences in the Air Force, learning that, you know, people make mistakes, people hit road bumps, and learning how to overcome that and make the best of maybe an unideal situation allowed me to refocus my research effectively into studying that specific type of phytoplankton and therefore studying the climate impacts that or the climate anomalies that led to this unusually long duration of a red tide bloom that happened over Southern California. With that, I was able to use what I learned in the climate science program, um, especially using the biogeochemistry knowledge that I learned literally just the spring prior to my internship, as well as the, the Python skills that I learned in Dr. Shell's climate modeling class and her climate data analysis class, and also several other classes offered through the program. 
And then applying that towards how to identify red tides using an algorithm with light reflecting to study its tide extent and create this story of, okay, this is a red tide. Red tides happen every year, but what was so different about this one? Why did it take so long? And being able to quantify, all right, these are the multiple events that ultimately embody what climate science is, is looking in that interdisciplinary aspects and how certain events come to be based on what anomalies occur at that point in time, all of which which are driven by things like sea surface temperatures rising, global temperatures rising that further affect how biological processes work. In addition, weather and meteorology conditions in a certain time frame that either become more intense or less intense. Oh, cool. I mean, part of that totally went over my head. I'm not going to lie. Like <laughs> I, but I'm so impressed that it's like, just amazing. Um, and I do have to say, I feel like a little bit of a connection here with the military, um, with higher education because of the acronyms, like we just love acronyms in higher education. And it sounds like, so does the military. One of the things that I really love about your story is just hearing some of the influences that you've had from people that you work with, that you take classes with, you know, you talked about Dr. Emily Schaller, Dr. Karen Schell. Can you tell us a little bit more about how these people impacted your story and their influence on your experiences? Well, I'll start with Dr. Karen Schell. I met her first. She is a climate science professor that I actually had while I was taking e-campus classes as a deployed airman. So balancing learning atmospheric science for the first time online in Afghanistan was quite the challenge. After interacting with her, um, you know, I was always a very proactive student. I let her know ahead of time. I told her my story of, you know, like, I may turn things in a little bit late, but I want to let you know that it may not be because of my lack of ability, but more so because things that I'm in where I'm going to deploy to me, not conduct it. To, to mitigate that, um, I did come up with a plan. And, you know, when you come up with a problem, it's, it's, it's helpful to come up with a solution with that, letting her know that to avoid that issue, I am going to try to submit things a few days ahead of time. But in the event that I don't, that is why. And that I think that really helped establish that, that mutual respect between a professor and a student as far as like how dedicated someone is to staying in the program. After being an eCampus student for a few years, I earned a full ride Air Force ROTC scholarship that allowed me to attend Oregon State University in person. And so one of my first things I did was I, I wanted to see Dr. Shell. And so I finally met her in the spring during a, uh, a climate science award program. And she, she remembered me and that was awesome. You know, it's always really nice to be remembered and being remembered for a good reason and not necessarily like, oh, this, and I know a lot of people maybe have anxieties of like, oh, I didn't perform so well. I didn't, maybe I didn't do the best and kind of professors kind of have an initial like intimidating stance because you're meeting them for the first time. These are really brilliant people. But knowing how kind someone is in person and realizing how much they care about all of their students was really encouraging for me to continue that relationship. Moving on into those, those classes where I was taking those coding classes and applying them to climate science with Dr. Shell really helped strengthen that relationship where I was able to grow and I had a mentor that I could really mesh well with and rely on to ask for help, but allowing me and knowing me well enough that I try to figure things out independently, maybe a little bit to a fault before I ask for help. But knowing that someone that understands me and reaches out and knows when to reach out was incredibly helpful. 
to the point where, you know, seeing how she interacts and holding her climate coffees at Allen Bros, her active engagement to know the people in her program, because there aren't a lot of climate science students, was really encouraging and refreshing to see how academia can still care incredibly about their students. With Dr. Schaller, it was a really interesting experience because I wasn't expecting to see her at NASA SARP. I, I had spoken about her in my application um, to NASA SARP saying that, you know, I met this really cool scientist. She, she spoke a lot about the different types of things I needed to study and now I'm applying to this program. And she was the one that gave me the phone call saying, you know, I think we spoke to each other because I remember talking to someone about this and I think that's you. And I was like, that was me 100%. It was like that really like, oh my goodness moment. And, you know, she was really amazing from start to finish. Like as, a, as someone that was talking to me as a guest touring the airplane, and then as a student that she was overall advising, the amount of experience and environment that she created for us to grow in, while allowing us to kind of stumble through so we can learn our shortfalls was incredibly productive and amazing. And, you know, making the best out of an unideal situation, especially with the pandemic, we were all supposed to meet in person. She really honed in on, you know, once you're part of NASA, and you've contributed with them, like you're part of a family. And so she had these monthly meetings. She allowed us to have like these unique research opportunities. Uh, one of which was studying the air quality samples throughout the US. And so I was out with a big old aluminum can, just sucking in air through this huge canister and sending them off in this huge 70 pound box to, to UC Irvine. You know, all of those things ended up getting presented as two abstracts in the 2020 American Geophysical Union Conference. And so it kind of shows like, you know, the things that we're doing matters and maybe it does seem basic, but these are steps that we take so that we can one day also become these really well-established scientists. And, you know, we've talked on and off, actually I talked on and off with several faculty because of NASA SARP. And, um, you know, she's helped a lot with my graduate school applications, actually written the letter of recommendation. And it, it's really helpful to have that, that relationship that spans more than maybe just the summer and maybe throughout a few years. That just shows like the power of networking and being able to communicate with people and establishing and maintaining those relationships. Absolutely. And that's one of the things we talk with our students about a lot is, you know, not being afraid to reach out when you have questions or reach out when you have interest, because there are a lot of people out there who are really excited to get people involved in their field and expose them to opportunities. So I, I love to hear that about your story. Katie, you're a mentor now to all of our listeners who are interested in this subject. So it's <laughs> passing it along, if you will kind of going along that theme. Katie, what advice do you have for students who are still trying to figure out what they want to do for their future career? So one of the biggest things that I've been trying to emphasize is that it's okay to take your time. It's okay to live your life for a few years after high school. And I know the general progression is you graduate high school and immediately go to college. Knowing, especially what I know now, had I gone to college right after high school, I was highly likely to pursue a program that maybe I wouldn't have been the happiest in. And what worked for me was because I was able to earn my financial independence. And, you know, a lot of people come from a lot of different family situations, but being able to, to pull yourself through and having that independence to get through college and knowing that you're in a pro program because you want to be there really makes a difference even beyond just having a natural aptitude of how you get through a class. Because you can be a really smart individual but that only gets you so far if you're not willing to put in the work. And that is where your, determin your determination and your dedication to your program kicks in. 
And last, don't be afraid to take risks. I left a very comfortable job in the Air Force, and it was very easy for me to say, you know, that was a cool thought, but, you know, I'm making a lot of great, I'm making a decent income, I'm very comfortable, and taking that jump is scary. But anything that's worth that progression in your life is going to be scary to some degree. And it's better to say, I tried and maybe I didn't get in than always wondering what if. Such great advice and a piece that I think a lot of students will take away, or I hope they take away from this too, is that your major doesn't always necessarily seem to line up exactly with where you want to go. Like, I don't know if a lot of people would have thought I'll do climate science and end up in the space force, you know? So, you know, you don't have to have something that like is exactly lined up with your made with your career, because there's a lot of programs out there that feed into these amazing opportunities. So, you know, explore those options and talk with the faculty and, and all that. You can find some really cool internships and opportunities out there that align with your interests. So um, I, I think you're a great role model for our students. And I love that you're representing ORSU in the Pacific Northwest and taking this great adventure. So uh, I loved your story today. Thank you for having me. Um, I had a great time and you know, if anybody needs to contact me, my email is open and I'll check it periodically even after graduation. Katie, I think you're, well, you're already famous in my book, but people are going to hear about you. So from our tiny little podcast, we'll, we'll just take the credit for introducing you to the world. No, that's all yours. Thanks again uh, for joining us. That is the end of today's podcast. Please tune in next time to hear more about what's going on in Beaver Nation. It'll be a damn good time. Katie, can we get a Go Beavs to sign us off? Go Beavs! Go Beavs! Go Beavers!